Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Thank you. I thank you every day for your salvation. I thank you every day that you're so patient with us. You're so kind. You're so long-suffering. It's just amazing to me. And what's more amazing than that is how you don't give up on us. You keep on coming after us. I look at the history of Israel. You know, they had a revival, then they slipped. They had a revival, and then they slipped. Hopefully, hopefully, God, we will be steady in our course, that we will stand with you, and we will pledge our allegiance to you and you alone, and help us to stay steadfast. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we all agree that we're living in the last days, and I believe that this text has something to say to us this morning. Turn with me to the book of Mark, Mark the 16th chapter, and we're going to begin with verse 15. It speaks hope. And I hope it speaks to you this morning in Mark chapter 16, beginning with the 15th verse. It says, and he, that is Jesus, said to them, go into how much of the world? All the world and preach the gospel, the good news to how many people? All. In my Bible, the New King James, it says every creature, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be what? Condemned. The old King James Version says they will receive damnation. Now, the last thing that God wants to see is anybody condemned. He does not want to see anybody lost. It'll break his heart. And I don't care if it's the homeless person or who it is. I don't care if they're rich or poor. I don't care if they're black or white, educated or uneducated. As I've said before, everybody is special in God's sight. Everybody is valuable to him. Now, when Jesus said these words here in Mark chapter 16 that we just read, was he just saying that to the last 11 disciples that were there? He was saying it really to all of us. We all belong to the priesthood of believers. If we're, we are disciples, we are followers of God, so this is for us too. He's not just speaking to pastors. We are the body of Jesus Christ. We are the priesthood of believers. If you're depending on just Pastor Nehemiah to finish this message uh, to the world, if you're just depending on pastors in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and evangelists, the work will never be done. All of us have to use our gifts. Everybody has to use their talents. I wish I could sing like this guy does. You know, man, what a, a voice and what a song, what a message. What is our job this morning? It is to help people to understand the gospel. It's to help people to understand salvation, to find forgiveness, to break the bondage of sin, to set the captive free. And maybe you can't preach, maybe you don't play piano, maybe you don't sing, but I tell you one of the best, best 
tools or gifts to have to share the gospel is the gift of hospitality. Inviting people to your home, getting to know people, bonding with people. That's where it really can be a, it can be a real blessing. That's just as important as preaching the gospel, showing them love, showing them care. We need to go after the lost. You know, in Kentucky, I don't know if they have coon hunts here, but in Kentucky, they have coon hunts, and they have hounds, and they, you can hear them baying in the forest, going after their prey. And our God, in a sense, is like a hound, a hound of heaven. He cares about people, and he goes after them. In fact, there's a poem called The Hound of Heaven. I understand, I think it's called Goldendale, Washington. There's a museum there, and they have that poem on display. Is that right? Oh, <laughs> you were shaking your head. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they tell me, and I've read that there's, that poem is displayed there. There's over 100 lines in that poem poem amazing and uh, it was written by a man that I'll talk about a little later but it depicts to me our God and how he comes after us everybody's important everybody you know we're consistent in our and we're persistent in doing things that isn't pleasing to God and running away from God but God's persistent in coming after us I'd like to share with you another passage is found in the book of Ezekiel. One thing that I see over and over again in the book of, uh, throughout the Bible, is God coming after his people. In Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning with verse 11, here it pictures God coming after us. He's in hot pursuit. He's searching for us. He's pursuing us. And he wants to rescue you and me from the darkness. I wonder, do you have family that you're praying for this morning? Do you have some sons and daughters? Don't give up. Keep on praying for those relatives. Keep on praying for your co-workers. There is power in prayer. You may not even see it when you're alive, but you might see it when you get to heaven. Even after we die, those prayers that we prayed for our loved ones, they continue. They continue. God will do everything he can to get them in the kingdom of God. And so here in Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning with verse 11, it says this. For thus says the Lord God. Now catch this. Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on what kind of a day? A cloudy and what else? Dark day. I remember when I wasn't walking with the Lord, he was trying to pull me. The great controversy was going on in my head. I was reading the Bible. I was smoking dope. I was reading the Bible. I would listen to some of the music, and I thought, man, you know, like, for instance, uh, I don't know, it doesn't matter what song. Somehow, the Holy Spirit would work with me while I was getting high even, and the thought came to my head, Keith, if you were to die right now, 
Would you be ready for heaven? And when I thought about that, man, my heart started beating, and I felt like it was going to beat out of my chest, because I knew at that moment in time, I didn't have that connection, the connection that I needed. And so he comes after us. We read this over and over in God's holy word. There was a time in my life where things were cloudy and fuzzy. I thought it was having fun. You know, the old song, I did it my way. Well, I was doing it my way, trying to find happiness, trying to find fulfillment. But the things of this world will let you down. For sure it will let you down. And so he delivered me from my cloudiness, my fogginess. He delivered me from the darkness of the world, the sin of this world. And he wants to do that even now in the church. He's still working on his people. Our God didn't give up on me, and he won't give up on your loved ones. Keep praying. I don't understand all the dynamics about prayer, but I know that prayer works. He goes out every day, and he searches for your loved ones. He searches for your brothers and sisters. He searches for your daughters and sons. He searches for your mom and dad, your loved ones. I just thank God that he is real. And the Bible pictures him going after us, pursuing us. You know, we do live in a time of darkness. We live in a time of clouds and confusion. We live in a day and time you don't even know what bathroom to go to. We live in a day and time where it's really kind of hard to raise kids. I mean, they you think that you got temptations or had temptations when you were growing up? Look at all the video games and all the excitement that's out there. How in they are bombarded with things that I wasn't bombarded with. My friends, we need to be praying for our kids, our young people like never before. We live in a time of darkness. And God is asking you and me, the body of Christ, to be his bloodhound, to do everything we can to reach whoever we can. In Isaiah 61, or 60, verse 1, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. My friends, if there was a time to fill up the earth with the radiance of God, with the love of God, that is now. We must be about our Father's business. Jesus, at 12 years old, he's answering all the scribes and Pharisees, uh, their questions. Here they are asking him questions, and men, they're amazed at the knowledge of this kid. And when his mom and dad came and were looking for him, you know, where have you been? And he said to his mom and dad, I must be about my father's business. At the age of 12, you can bet that he knew that he was the Lamb of God. He knew that he would die on... Calvary, that he would go through Gethsemane. He read the scriptures. He knew that they applied to him that lamb. He says, I must be about my father's business, and his business is your business. It's my business. Jesus is coming again. No time to be playing around. 
I don't want Satan to have one piece of Keith Knoll. I don't want Satan to have one piece of you. When Jesus comes, there will be no darkness in the body, in the bride of Jesus Christ. Everywhere I look, I see God pursuing his people. Turn with me to Isaiah 65. Isaiah the 65th chapter, and we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. Now, I'm going to read from the NIV because I think it expresses it very well. Some of the words are cut off there, but that's all right. You know, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It may read a little different in your Bible, but it's basically saying the same thing. Notice what it says in Isaac 65, verse 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I all day long. I have held out my hands to what kind of a people? To an obstinate people. What in the world does obstinate mean? He's held out his hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. Oh, this God of ours, all day long, every single day, just like in Noah's day, he holds out his hands. And we Turn and do our own thing. He holds his hands out to an obstinate people, a stubborn, hard-headed, rebellious, headstrong, defiant people. And yet God never gives up. He's in hot pursuit for your loved ones, for my loved ones, for my soul, your soul. What an awesome, incredible God we have. In a world where people walk in their own ways, pursuing their own imaginations, he never gives up in hot pursuit. This is where most of the world is, it, is at today. They don't walk in ways that are good. They walk in their own imaginations. My friends, God comes up after them. He says, here am I here am I with outstretched hands. He says, all day long I have held out my hands. But again and again and again, people just turn away. And, you know, oh, I wonder what's on television tonight. I wonder what's on the news. I wonder what the social, I wonder what Facebook, if anybody hit very many likes on my little post today. We're all about us. We're not about the Savior. God's people have rejected him, not once, not twice, but over and over again. And what does God do? My friends, he holds out his hands, and he says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Why doesn't the Lord come? Because he's holding back the winds of strife in Revelation 7 just a little bit longer so that one more soul will give their life over to him. This book 
The Hound of Heaven, was written by a man named Francis Thompson. And he was raised in a Catholic school. He wanted to become a priest. He wanted to become a priest. So he went to school to become a priest. And he got discouraged with that. And he says, well, I'll become a medical doctor. And so he went to school to be a medical doctor. He was a fairly intelligent man. But then his mother died. He was so upset because he had this close relationship with his mom and he couldn't understand what, why would God take his mom? Why couldn't his mom live a little longer? So he gave up on God. He became a bum. He became homeless. He became an opium addict. He was in an alley in England and he was suffering from an overdose and would have died. But one of God's children, not recognized by us, came along and helped this man, this Francis Tom Thompson. Who was this lady that helped this man? She was a lady of the night. She was a prostitute. Oh, God doesn't use prostitutes. He used Rahab. In fact, that was Jesus' great, 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 I don't know how many greats, grandmother. And she nursed him back to health. She noticed that he had a gift with writing, and she encouraged him to write poetry. And so he wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. And it was taken to an editor in London, England, and that poem became fam famous. He wrote about his life. He became a Christian. And this is what he wrote about his life. He talked about God comparing him to the hound of heaven. It says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. In my early years, from 12 to 22, I could care, well, I did care about God, but I wanted to do my thing. And then it says, I fled him down. Here's a word for you. The labyrinthian ways. What in the world is labyrinthian? It means those crooked ways, those meandering ways. I think happiness is over here. I think happiness is over there. And it was a crooked way, and my way was crooked. My life was in a dark and cloudy situation. It says, I fled him down the labyrinthian ways of my own mind. And in the midst of my tears, I hid from him. But with unhurrying chase, talking about the God of we serve, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, instancy, came on the following feet, came on the following feet, and a voice above their beat, ah, oh, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. You're trying to find fulfillment here, fulfillment in drugs, in alcohol, porn, or whatever it is, but you won't find fulfillment until you find Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Francis Thompson. Amazing. And I tell you what, a lot of people, a lot of people have used his poems over the years. It's amazing uh, what they have done with his poem. Uh, I stop and think about what they wrote. Uh, I think about the Supreme Court. 
a case of Brown versus the Board of Education, 1954. Rick, you might be familiar with that possibly. And it, they made a decision which was a landmark school uh, decision on desegregation. They said, do it with deliberate speed. Michael Card, the famous uh, musician, wrote a song based on the Hound of Heaven. Make no doubt about it. God is in hot pursuit. I'm told it is in a museum in Goldendale, uh, Washington. And you can see all 126 verses, I believe is how many verses there is to that song. My friends, God is the hound of heaven. And he does that. I've seen it in my own life. Little things that have come. I've seen it and read about stories like, you know, when communism fell years ago, back when communism was strong, when Stalin was in charge, he arrested Christian leaders. He, he uh, confiscated Bibles and he had these Bibles placed, or at least in this one city, he had these Bibles placed in a warehouse. The city officials put them there years and years ago. And uh, they had some of those Christians die. So anyway, when communism fell, the missionaries came and they were witnessing. They were giving out Bibles and they ran out of Bibles and it was going to take a while to order more Bibles from America. And they didn't know what they were going to do. Somebody said, well, years ago, they had confiscated Bibles, put them in this warehouse, and they got permission to go and get those Bibles. They could use them and give them out. And so they hired a couple of college kids to pack up these Bibles, put them in a truck to the meetings where they were going to be handed out at. And the college kid wanted to make some money. He wasn't a, he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't an atheist, but he was an agnostic. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. I know my grandmother was really into God and all that, but I'm not so sure. And he was putting these Bibles in the truck. I mean, there were thousands of Bibles. And he knew about these meetings. And he knew people were coming to these meetings. And he thought to himself, why are people so interested in this book? And out of the thousand Bibles that he could have grabbed, he grabbed this one Bible. And he kind of left the rest of the people that were stacking the Bibles in the truck. And he went around the corner. He opened up the Bible. What is it about this book that people like? And he was reading it, and he was reading it, and it was underlined. He was reading these really neat verses. And then all of a sudden, he looks on the fly leaf of the Bible. And he is in total shock. This is his grandmother's Bible. It's her own signature. I mean, what are the chances of pulling a Bible out of a thousand Bibles, your grandmother's Bible out? And I tell you what, the hound of heaven had found him. And when they saw him, they said, where did that guy go? So they were looking for him. He's got the Bible open and he's in tears. He knew that there was a divine hand in his life. Oh, what a God you and I serve. And you know, I was down when I first joined the church. and Well, when I was a first first pastor at intern at uh, Des Moines, Iowa. That's why I say never give up in prayer. This lady had a foster child, got her when she was little. She grew up, took her to church, did all the things that parents do. And anyway, this foster child, when she was about 20 years old, got into drugs, got into the wildlife. And she knew that someday, some night, 
she sometimes she couldn't sleep. That phone's going to ring, and it might be my foster daughter. It might, she might be dead. It might be bad news. Sure enough, one night she's praying for her foster daughter. And she gets a phone call, and she th says, oh, no, I hope this isn't anything about my foster daughter. And she picks up the phone, and it's her foster daughter. Her foster daughter says, stop it, stop it. I know you're praying for me. Stop it. And she clicks, and she hangs up the phone. That coming Sabbath, her foster daughter comes to the Des Moines First Church. And anyway, uh, she gives her life over to God, takes Bible studies, is baptized. Today, that foster daughter has helped planning a church in Des Moines, Iowa. There is power in prayer. And our prayers live on even after we die. I remember pastoring in Moberly, Missouri. These two older parents, their, their child had grown up. He was, she was in her 40s at the time. And they says, please go see her. She's been out of the church since she was out of high school. So I went out to the house, and she was inside. I knew she was inside because lots of cars in the driveway. I was knocking on the door, but I was looking at the window. And pretty soon, I see the sh uh, curtains pulled back, and she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her. All of a sudden, the curtains go back. <laughs> I went out there two or three times. She never did answer the door. But her dad died. Her dad died, and she went to the funeral, and he was a godly man, made a big impact, impression on her mind. After he died, she started coming to church. I gave her Bible studies. She became one of the strongest people who would like to witness, and still is to this day. And so that parent won't know until he reaches heaven that his prayers were answered and they can be answered for your sons and daughters they can be answered for your moms and dads what a powerful god that you and i have the hound of heaven we're the body of christ and god goes after us and he wants us to go after them my friends he is a living god like daniel said there is a god in heaven not maybe not perhaps he, there is a God, and he's after you and my loved ones as well. God's been after this human race ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin. When they fell into sin, who came seeking who? It was the Lord. He came in the garden, and he says, where art thou? He knew where they were. But that call, that seeking has gone down through the corridors of time. It has gone down through the pages of history. God is still calling out today. Where art thou? He goes after that lost sheep. He goes after that lost coin. We are precious. We are valuable in heaven's sight. Oh, heaven is busy trying to wake up planet earth, trying to prepare them for what is coming on this planet. But all around us are hurting broken people. And God wants us to be that physician for him. You know, you go to any car wreck and there's always... Three different groups of people, kind of like in church. There's always the onlookers, the rubberneckers, that are looking, and they don't do anything, but they look and see what everybody else is doing. And then you've got the police. What is their job? Their job is to find out who's responsible for the wreck. Maybe make an arrest. Depends. They're there to help, too. I love 
are police officers. And I love, though, everybody loves the paramedic. They're not there to place any judgment or put anybody under arrest or place any blame. They're there to save lives. And my friends, we can't judge ourselves. That judgment is for Christ. My friends, our job is to be a paramedic to this world. Jesus loves us. He cares for us. And yes, I know there comes a time that we need to go to them out of love. And if they're resistant and they're obstinate and they're defiant in their sin, then out of love, we need to have loving discipline, which means you could even go so far as to disfellowship them if necessary, but it should be out of love. I wish we had the, the mindset, like I said the other day, of Desmond Doss. Please, Lord, help me. Help me to get just one more. You know, it makes my heart sick. People say, oh, we ought to stop doing those public evangelistic meetings. We spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And at our last public meeting, we only got one person. Well, guess what? Ron Halverson went to a set of meetings, and only four people got baptized. And he was one of them. Mark Finley says the same thing. He went to a set of meetings. Only four were baptized. He was one of them. And look at all the thousands of lives that they have touched. Oh, we spend way too much money on public meetings. Jesus spent his blood. And how many people are really going to be saved in the end? He spent an infinite cost to redeem mankind. We need to be filled with compassion, just like our God was. A friend of mine, David Hartman, he owned a little puppy, a little chocolate, uh, what was it, a chocolate, um, what was it, lab, that's what it was, a lab, how could I forget that? But anyway, it was just a puppy, and he had it for about a week, but then all of a sudden the puppy disappeared. The puppy disappeared. It never came home. He asked the neighbors, where's my puppy? He went out seeking to find his puppy. Him and his wife, two days, three days, no puppy shows up. And so he, him and his wife goes out on Sabbath afternoon. They're looking on the roads. They're driving around. Where's our puppy? And all of a sudden, they turn this one corner, and there's their puppy laying in the ditch. He got hit by a car. His leg was mangled, hadn't ate anything for those days, hadn't drank anything, but he was still clinging to life. They took him to the hospital, and guess how much they spent to, uh, for him? $1,200. Was that puppy worth it to them? It was worth it to them. How oh, we spend too much money on these meetings. You know, it's interesting, in the war in Bosnia back in 1995, Maybe you remember this story. There was an airplane jet pilot, Scott O'Grady. He got shot. His plane crashed. And for about a week, I don't know how many days it was, he was eating grass and drinking water, eating bugs, trying to survive. The, the enemy was trying to find him. He said the enemy was so close. He was in the bushes one time, and the enemy was searching for him, and they were just on the other side of the bushes. Now, what did the U.S. Army, what did they do? Or the U.S. Air Force, what did they do? Oh, it's just one air pilot. No big deal. You know, we got other pilots. No, they sent out an aircraft carrier, an assault ship. They sent out 40 warplanes at the cost of $6 billion to save Scott O'Grady. And they 
completed their mission. What a price. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only, only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If we really, truly have the Spirit of God in us, it's not going to be just 20% of the church that's going to be active. It's going to be 80, it's going to be 100% that's active. In Steps to Christ, he says, no sooner is one born again than there is born within him a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he's found in Jesus. The saving, the sanctifying grace cannot be shut up in his heart. True story, a student nurse was going down the road, Route 60 in Florida. The rain was coming down in sheets. You could not see through the windshield. The rain was coming down so hard. And so she was trying to drive carefully, and all of a sudden she saw these blinking lights of a semi-trailer truck. They were changing a flat tire. She slammed on the brakes. She went into a skid and it went down into this ravine. And there was water filling up the car very fast in that ravine. That truck, the semi-trailer truck, there were three people trying to change this tire. And then all of a sudden the construction truck, you know, one of these dual cabs, had six construction workers in it. They see the blinking truck and they see the wheels of that upside down car. They stop. Now get this. There's nine men looking at the wheels of Carol's car upside down in a ravine. Water's coming into that car. One man says, I got, there's too many cottonmouth snakes in those waters for me to jump in. Another man says, well, I've got a big family at home. But there was one man named Ted. He didn't think about his big family. He didn't stop to think about those cottonmouth snakes. He jumped down into that water and he went down on the driver's side of the door trying to release the door. Couldn't get it released. Finally, on his third descent, he was able to pry open the door. Carol was unconscious but alive. He brought her to surface, gave her mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. And because of Ted Henderson's unselfishness, Carol is alive today. Brothers and sisters, you and I are standing on the brink of eternity. Are we going to jump in and help save a precious soul? Or are we just going to stand back and make excuses? And you know what? We're the ones that get the biggest blessing. I tell you what, if you want the Holy Spirit, oh yeah, you got to read the Bible, you got to have prayer, but what else do you think you got to do? You got a witness. If you don't share what you got, you're going to wither and die. You're going to stagnate. You're going to be dead in the water. You're going to only have a little bit of oil. You're going to be lukewarm, friends. I tell you, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me in my 40 years of ministry was when I was a call porter out in Delaware. Some lady had sent in a lead card. And so anyway, I went to her home. I knocked on the door. Her name was Mary Starkey. I says, Mary, hi. I held up the card. I says, I'm here on the information you requested on the Bible stories. She let me in. I started to share with her my sales talk, my canvas. And she stopped me in the middle of my canvas. She says, what church are you from? I says, well, my personal preference is Seventh-day Adventist. But I believe there's Christians in every church. 
And uh, she says, you're a Seventh-day Adventist? I says, yeah. And she was just kind of staring into space like she was in deep thought. And I says, well, do you know somebody that's a Seventh-day Adventist? And she says, yes. Yes, I, I was a foster child. My, my dad was an alcoholic. My mother was sent into an institution. And by the age of eight, I had been tossed into eight different foster homes. And she told me what happened in those homes. Every form of abuse you can think of. She was thrown in closets uh, for days or a couple of days, no food, uh, a little bit of water. She was sexually abused, emotionally abused. But finally, when she was eight years old, in 1965 she is placed into a Seventh-day Adventist home a single lady uh, and her name was Pat Foreman Pat Foreman buys new clothes for her treats her like her own daughter takes her to church and plays piano songs gospel songs on her lap with her she has all these pleasant memories of this 55 year old lady from 1965 the year was 1983 I think it was and I'm talking to her it's 18 years later and she says do you think Pat Foreman is still alive I says, I don't know, Mary, but I can do some checking around. I can try to find out. And so anyway, I was checking around. And meanwhile, I says, would you like to have Bible studies? Would you like to go to church? Would you like to come over to my house for lunch, meet my wife? Yes, yes, yes. So we did the Bible studies and everything. Month, a few months later, it just so happened that we were going to have a rally, an LE rally, Literature Evangelist Rally, in uh, Salisbury, Salisbury, Maryland. And so that's where all the literature evangelists come. They share their experiences, their stories. And I called the pastor because I found out that Pat Foreman was now 73 years old or whatever, and not 55, 18 years later, and she was going to church there. I said, don't tell her a thing. Just make sure she's at church that day. Don't tell her anything. I told the pastor what the scoop was. So just before the main speaker got up to speak, I was invited to share my story, my experience. And I didn't mention any names. I told the story just like I told it here. And I says, because of some dear lady back in 1955, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, this lady took Bible studies. She's been coming to church, and she's going to get baptized and for the first time I mention her name I says she's here today Mary would you stand up Mary stood up I looked over here to where Pat Foreman was and this lady 70 some years old she looks across the sanctuary she sees Mary she literally jumps up you would have thought she was in a Pentecostal church <laughs> we could use a little bit of that she says, I know that girl. I know that girl. She literally ran across the sanctuary. They opened up their arms and they just embraced each other. There wasn't a dry eye in that whole church. It was just a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. Amen. My friends, it's for our benefit that God allows us to witness for him, to share in this beautiful experience. We are the body of Christ. We are the hound of heaven. Will you, through the power of God, ask God to come into you and give you boldness today? Will you? Will, one quick story. You might think, man, I'm a little timid. I'm a little scared. I don't know if I could do that. The rejection. 
You know, when I first became a Seventh-day Adventist, I wanted to do something for the Lord. So I quit my job, became a literature evangelist. I memorized this canvas. It was six pages long. I had not memorized anything in my life. When I gave a book report, I read the front, I read the back cover, and that was my report. And I got a C out of it. <laughs> That's all I cared. I was a party guy. Hey, let's have fun. That's what I'm here for. And so anyway... I learned that canvas, and I mean, I had it down. I had it learned word for word. My publishing uh, director came by. He says, okay, let's hear your canvas. I gave my canvas. He says, okay, you're ready. Let's go out and, and, and let's do your first canvas. He says, where do you want to start? I didn't want to start in my hometown. The prophet's not accepted in his hometown. I says, there's a little town, real little one, 16 miles away from here. I don't know anybody in that town. Let's go and uh, start right there. So we knocked on the first door, and who answered the door? A cousin of my wife's. I thought, oh, brother. <laughs> so I gave my door approach. She let me in. She was kind of a quiet gal. Sat down on the couch. I was showing her my prospectus and what was happening in the world and the need for God. And uh, I went through all my canvas and I showed her the books. She wasn't interested. And every time I asked her a question, I says, isn't that right, Mrs. Jones, and all this stuff. And I was just so scared. When I got back into the car, after we were done with the canvas, she didn't want to buy anything. I had a prayer and left. We were in the car, and I asked my boss, my publishing director, I says, well, what do you think? Did I do okay? And he says, well, he says, every time you asked a question, and I asked about 40 questions, I says, uh, every time you asked a question, you said, isn't that right? Mrs. Jones. There's no problem with that except her name wasn't Mrs. Jones. Her name, I had memorized that in my sales talk. <laughs> Isn't that right, Mrs. Jones? <laughs> my whole point in sharing that is if God can use this guy, he can use every one of you. Every one of you. May God fill you up where you're like Jeremiah. You can't contain yourself. You want to share the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's uh, stand and, and have prayer together. Lord, it's been a beautiful day. It's been beautiful to spend time with you and with your people. To fellowship together. To learn from your feet, from your holy word. Lord, please, I beg you. Fill us all up today with your Holy Spirit. Help us to hunger. Help us to thirst for it. And then, Lord, after we have our bread, help us to share that bread with others. For we ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen. God bless you and have a fantastic day.